Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. <laughs> They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. This is your host, Jeremy. Just uh, wanted to give you a little heads up about the episode you're, you're about to hear. It's talking to a, a panel of leftist vets. And so we, because of, they talk about their experiences and how they were radicalized. We do get into some pretty heavy shit. So I just want to give you a heads up about that content warning and all that. If, if anybody out there needs the Veterans Crisis Line, there is a resource available at 1-800-273-TALK. That is the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-TALK. Anyway, we, we cover a lot of territory. Everything from the recent, the media freak out over the recent pullout from Afghanistan to just how people in the service actually, you know, view, you know, kind of the, the last 20 years of troop worship culture that we have in America and cover a heck of a lot of different topics yeah, I think you will really enjoy this. You might even know a couple people you want to share this to. Real quick, if you have any qu- uh, questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me. The the contact info for the show is givingthemike at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at givingthemike. That's uh, one word, no spaces. If you would like to help me build this show, then if, if you know any, if, as long as you can find just one person to share it with, I'd greatly appreciate it. We also, we make the show, the show is made possible by, by listeners, listeners like you at patreon.com slash giving the mic. I want to thank my guests tonight. It, we had a, a, quite an extensive conversation and I think you will enjoy it. And without further ado, here is a collection of leftist vets giving their experiences and dropping some knowledge. Enjoy. And for lack of a better way to start, hello, hello, friends. Once again, welcome to giving the mic to the wrong person. I am your host, Jeremy. I am hosting solo tonight, as neither of my co-hosts could have made it. So uh, tonight's subject is talking to a panel of, say, leftist vets of of the of our uh, of our glorious American empire machine. And talking about various important topics because, especially on recent news, these are, you know, these kind of things always, always come around and become very relevant again. Going around the room, we are joined by old friends and new. Let's see, guess if you, which one of you want to go first and uh, introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Take your pick. I can uh, jump. I'm, I'm Spencer Williams. Gotcha, Spencer. Uh, I'll go. My name is Mitch Green. I am a veteran of the war in Afghanistan, circa 2004-2005 era. Been a minute. Been out for a minute. I am. I, I was in the army, so and I'm not now. So <laughs> now I do DSA shit. Gotcha. Yeah, and sharper, sharp-eared listeners will have remember Mitch from our couple of a couple of our, the econ episodes we have recorded in times past. 
Spencer, do you want to go for a, what's your, what was your, your intro in your service? Yeah, I was uh, in the, the Army for uh, 20 years. I just retired this year. Yeah, I, two, I did two tours in Iraq, or uh, 405 and 0809. <clears throat> then I finished up with the tour in Kosovo. So for listeners out there, that if you're wondering, yeah, we still do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, thanks. James? Hey, I am James. I'm a uh, Navy vet, been out for... Jeez, coming up on five years now. Was on a couple different submarines off the east and west coast. Did a couple, quote, combat, unquote, deployments that were a whole lot of sitting around at the bottom of the ocean. But, but yeah, that's about it. Okay, so, well, my name is uh, Marcos. I go I go by he, him pronouns. I was a in the Marine Corps for uh, four years. I served as a 2841, which is a ground radio repairman basically a comms nerd who popped and swapped at circuit cards on the depot level. Didn't quite get the chance to go into Micromen, but I knew I know plenty of people who have that experience. Did a lot of was stationed over in Okinawa, Japan. Got to experience firsthand what it's like to be on occupied land in another country for an uh, extended period of time. And the history of Okinawa itself is just a rife with constant occupation from other from other groups and stuff. So that's it. Excellent. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for thank you all for joining me on this still strangely hot Wednesday evening here in uh, sunny Portland, Oregon. Our topic tonight is pretty much just talk because I had the had the idea of wanted to just cover things from I don't know, kind of like actual leftist vets who you know don't really hear much from either in American media except for the few who actually are on who are actually on like you know various you know, like left pods or you know you've you there's a channel called like the uh, the left vets the left flank vets on Twitch which ha- which has some so I figured I would I want I you know, I had a couple I you know I had an idea for a show for a panel discussion and figured I would ask you well ask you all to come join and you all remember remember to it, so there we go. So I guess the open it up for our first question for for our assembled panel. Here, let's see. Do you want to talk about Forever War? Or do you want to talk about Afghanistan first? Uh, your pick. The real topical shit, or the uh, or the or more of the psychological aspect. What do y'all What are y'all thinking? I mean, I think we should start with Afghanistan because it's just that's the thing everyone's talking about. But then we can easily blend into. All the all the psychological aspects of that too. All right, cool. Yeah. They, so this is kind of the, I guess the first the, our opening question is is I think some of you at least might have a little bit of relevant experience here. Are do you did you did you expect the the you know the U.S. actually getting out of Afghanistan this year or you know ever? And the subsequent question is is. And that we can all, that we can get into a little bit later is, can you describe what serving in a? Also, can can somebody mute your notifications because they're they're picking up? Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, that's that was me. Okay, cool. Just checking. This is just one of those weird little like background things. It's like a like much like a a, a smoke <laughs> a smoke detector with a dying battery. You could always kind of like cuts in clear in the background. But anyway, yeah, talk just you know both about Afghanistan, but also if. You know, t- at some point, t- talk about what what serving in a forever war actually does to a person, and uh, who would want to kick us off about? Yeah, it's like, did you again? Just to talking about uh, when did well, when did y'all think we would ever get out of Afghanistan? You know, if ever. 
I kind of thought with the, the talk, they have been that's been the talk of the talk of the town for a little bit about like getting out out of there before we actually got out. So I was a little I kind of thought that maybe we would probably try to find some reason to stay. Is kind of what my thinking was, but. Mm-hmm. I guess I I was kind of surprised when like I guess when they like went and actually did it and I was like whoa but then like you kind of look at the, what the disaster it turned out to be it was just like I mean it just confirms everything that we like already know and that was we need to get the hell out of there and and as you can see that's what needed to happen because you know you got a, an army that can't fight a corrupt government. You got these warlords out here they're relying on, and it, you know, I don't know. So it, it was, I think that it was the best thing to do for us to get out of there and not to stay in there any longer. Then, then I mean, like, it just wasn't good to stay in there. We, yeah, and it, it's obvious that you could see the way it played out. You know, it's like, yeah, we need to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was very surprised that we actually withdrew. I mean, I, I did not believe that a Joe Biden would withdraw troops from Afghanistan. Maybe that makes me cynical, but I mean, frankly, I wouldn't expect any different given the guy's track record. It seems to be pretty pro empire. So I just, I guess, I just did not, I didn't think that he would do that. I don't, I don't know why he did, to be honest with you. But, but the thing is, is like, I was not surprised by how it turned out, even though the media and like the foreign policy blob and all those those rat bastards were just like, you know, wringing their hands like this is terrible. This is like I'm so surprised by this. What what a what a catastrophe. It's like, how would you be surprised by this if you'd read the Afghanistan papers or actually looked at any of the analysis that was coming through the lessons learned through I don't know how many years, decade now or longer folks are recognized like. There is no legitimacy in this 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 host like the sort of the nation building project was a failure. It was always going to be a failure, and so like you could just stay forever, I guess, and keep the Taliban at bay. I mean, you can do that sort of, but it it always like rubs me the wrong way when people are like acting surprised, even though the professional foreign policy people. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah, and if I can kind of broaden this just a little bit more, like even just the idea of just like for me, I was, you know, still in elementary school, like watching like, you know, the events of like 9-11 and how much that has been like pervasive in like the level of like culture every single day of like just, you know, you know, starting with something as simple as like, you know, video games and stuff like that. I remember my brother and I being in elementary school playing things like Delta Force and, you know, the level of like money that gets put into like the recruiting stuff through like video games like that and we can see how far it's going today especially with the whole idea of like you know you know twitch streaming with the with the military and stuff like that and all that funding that goes towards that level of like recruiting and 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 how long we've been we've been in this war so now what i am interested to see is how that kind of what that's going to look like in the future considering that like we don't have an active war that we're in that being said you know i i it, it's weird for me because, you know, I was a Pogue. <laughs> I definitely, you know, Pogue stands for personnel other than grunt, which, you know, is somebody that, you know, doesn't fight in the front lines is more of like a support person. So for me, like, you know, I would never really experience the firsthand, like, you know, things that would happen in, in Afghanistan. Everything that I've always happened was always from an island that was way, way far away, whose like objective of like the unit that I was in wasn't even uh, completely related to Afghanistan. It was more about trying to keep Chinese influence at bay. And, you know, just just feeling so 
alienated from the war. It just kind of felt like we were always, you know, doing it. And like, you know, even like, you know, getting your global war and terror ribbon, ribbon felt like, you know, that's going to be something that we're going to be getting for the next, you know, you know, maybe 10 more years. But, you know, I guess to a certain extent, like when you're alienated so far from like the actual like combat, it just feels like, oh, like I, I, I mean, I hate to I hate to quote 1984 because of Orwell's history. But, you know, it's like, you know, there's a. <laughs> There's a there's the war the war in the war in, in in Eurasia today. And I woke up and you know just continued to fix radios. So that's that's my perspective on it. <laughs> Thanks, James. Yeah, that's uh, very similar to my experience with all of this. I was a mechanic on a submarine. You know, submarine missions haven't changed in forever, like since World War Two probably. You know, we're we're all doing the same stuff. We have our super secret gear on board that i don't even know what it does i'm not qualified to know and we just push the boat through the water off the coast of somewhere but like i don't even actually know where i was technically for most of my deployments so it's a very it's a very detached like marcos was saying very detached experience where i don't like you know it wasn't even like through a screen for me i was just turning a wrench and that's just what you do. You you sail across the world and do the same shit. So I don't really have much to say. And I said that in the most long-winded way I could think of. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's. I'm glad you said it in a long-winded way because it kind of reminds me of another part of this question, which is like, okay, what does this do to a person? What does this do to a person who participates in that? And that's, you know, not to turn this into like any kind of a therapy session, but like that's a really kind of fucked up question to even consider. Like it's... Like you, I think human beings have a propensity to be to be workers in some kind of project because that's a human thing, and 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 to spend like a good part of your your younger years contributing to a machine that is so many layers of alienation, just for some to, to what end? Like it's you're you're an appendage of an appendage of a machine that doesn't even like produce care institutions or reproduce like sustainable institutions but it really just goes to continue to fucking line 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 the pockets of some defense contractor somewhere or or to keep some general from having an uh, egg on his chin and that's what it is and that goes for decades and and then some someday you find yourself in a situation where your kid is now enlisting before you've retired i mean and then you've got like you're on deployments with your kid i mean that's so fucked up right so it's like at some point you're like all right you know, I got my critiques with Joe Biden, but thank God he fucking withdrew us from this shit war. Yeah, there's consequences. Yeah, you know, people like David Frum are upset. You know, all the kind of neocons from that era are upset that they that they didn't get their glorious war. But I hope they ch- I hope they choke on their own fucking disappointment. Check. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Not even the uh, not even the neocons are like all of the all the media t- the media types doing this too are just kind of like. <clears throat> is they I think a couple people pointed out yeah it's like they flipped they immediately you know to a person they immediately had to flip flop from defending the administration to like you know just uh, bombarding <laughs> it yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah anybody, anybody else have any comments on just like what kind of did anybody has anybody actually read Joe Haldeman's Forever War I have yeah. not <clears throat> but but I can tell you I don't know I think what it does to somebody I mean if you're like you know, and you get this with a lot of the special forces guys, a lot of the ranger type guys and stuff like that, where like these guys are on like, you know, these guys, these guys go out a lot. You know, you know, a lot of these guys, you talk to most of them, they've got 
six, seven, eight, nine deployments, you know, <clears throat> between Afghanistan and Iraq in the last 20 years. You know, and then like you then you turn around and hear that, you know, some dude, you know, beat his wife up or shoots his wife or, you know, something like that. And you had a lot with a lot, especially with those special forces dudes. But but I think that's what it does to people like, you know, going on all these deployments and then like you're kind of, you know, I don't know, you're not you're just kind of detached. You know what I mean? And, then, you know, uh, then you, you know, of course, you have marital problems and, you know, the divorce rate for military people is, is high. You know what I mean? So, so I mean, all, I think all those, all those things are like, you know, all those things are are tied together when you when you look at it. You know, what I mean? um, you know the suicide rates are, are high and that kind of stuff, and divorce rates are high, and and you know, yeah, I mean, I think that's what it, I think it was does to a lot of. People. I think that's the, like the, the the result of like being out in and out all the time on deployments and stuff like that. Yeah, and like just to jump off that a little bit, like I never saw combat, but just my time going through two deployments overseas, like that shit is ingrained in me, and I, very different, I guess, for like a mechanic on a submarine, like I was. But like, I still hear like the alarm. I will drop whatever I'm doing if I hear something that sounds vaguely like a shipboard alarm. That's just so ingrained in me on a very like minor minor level compared to what you were talking about Spencer but like Mm -hmm. even in the you know a less stressful non-combat environment that shit just gets beat into you and is gonna be there for the rest of my life and I I can only imagine what uh, more intense more combat oriented experience you know I was never issued a weapon I never did anything remotely like that and I can still see the long term effect in my life and it's just wild to think about yeah definitely you know and just jumping off the point because uh, i have a very similar experience as well i mean just hearing about like the different things like you know you know you know to go back to boot camp stories (laughs) you know you you hear in boot camp you ain't shit until like you know until you you become you know you know for for us like until you become a marine and then like you ain't shit until you actually get to your schoolhouse you ain't shit until you get to the fleet you ain't shit until like you actually deploy and you know like there's this kind of always like this this kind of like or you know once you deploy like you know you ain't shit until you seen combat and then it just keeps on like there's always like this next bigger goal that you're always being one-upped on kind of stuff like that which is like it's it'll be interesting to see how that's gonna you know deal with like you know a peacetime military which i know is not you know the you know and i i i absolutely have criticisms about being in the you know being in the military but i double down on my criticisms on being a peacetime military as well of just like the alienation is just gonna you know be that much more worse because now you don't have an objective to work on so you're gonna find things to keep yourself busy all the time which you know sometimes that's like things as simple as like uniform inspections just because you have nothing else to do or you know i know in the pacific theater i know the big things that we had were like operations where people would go into the philippines which also have their effects as well so there's gonna be you know still ways and you know then we also have like the different command centers that are across the different uh, countries like like that are still going to be maintaining their presence is just now we're just not going to be in the middle east which is another thing to keep an eye on which is like a little bit more hush hush on that kind of stuff i know for myself like being stationed at okinawa having issues things like you know, we, you know, we had an issue and I just want to give like a heads up that this is going to, you know, do deal with issues of like, you know, transphobia, of hate crimes, of murder specifically. Yeah, I, can, I, just, I, can, I'll, I can throw on a I can throw on a content warning at the at the front of the show. OK, 
That sounds good. You know, one of the things that that happened while I was, you know, stationed in Okinawa, I was asked to be a part of a of an operation. I ended up not doing that because I was dealing with some paperwork stuff on my end. But we had an issue happen where uh, a group went over to have a field op over in the Philippines, and the Pemberton trials happened. Which, if people aren't familiar with the Pemberton trials, it's when I believe either a sailor or a marine basically went out in town and and murdered uh, a, a trans woman and mm-hmm. just. Just like that's the thing that happens all the fucking time of like people like don't realize like there's all these like international incidents that are happening, but they're they're not getting the screen time for it because a lot of that is kept pretty hush hush. Like there's so many times where, you know, we had we had a contractor who, you know, murdered a local and tried to hide the body and stuff like that. And, you know, like that's the stuff that people don't hear about. And, you know, you know, sure, the base goes on lockdown. They might hear it from, like, you know, family members or stuff like that. But those are, like, the little things that, like, are effect, like, you know, going past just this kind of forever war. Like, there's still going to be, like, our the maintaining of our presence in an overseas base is, is still going to be there. And there's there's going to be I, – I can I can easily see, like, people trying to recompensate the fact that there's not a war to fight to do some wild shit out in other countries. And, like, I was, I was in – during the peacetime, when the before the war started, and I do just, uh, distinctly remember like what the what the vibes were, you know, we were far away from like any type of like type of like war thinking, you know, because this is before nine eleven and and like so this this was every this was this kind of thinking was like far from us, you know, at the at the time, you know, but my first duty station was in Korea and like even before the wars. There was just like, get these guys out, get them, you get them liquored up, and then they're out here beating up the locals, beating up the Koreans, beating each other up, and things like that. And like, it was always, it's like, it was always some kind of like, every weekend it was like, you know, uh, soldier punched the local in the face, or soldier punched the, the, the one of the sex workers in the face, or something like that, or, you know, something crazy like that. So and this was peacetime. This was this was before the wars, and that seems so so long ago. I don't know. It sounds like Checo. Sounds like you you were in when the wars were already happening. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. I was in you know 2012, 2013. So you know. Gotcha, gotcha. I, yeah. So and I, I don't know how long when you got in, Mitch, but but like I don't know if you, if you remember like peacetime when when before the wars. I you came know. in on the cusp. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. So, so different. It was a different, different vibe back then. Though. It really was before uh, before the war started. And I, I always tell people like that's when like the military got serious. You, you know, everything turned super serious. Like it was one big joke all day long. Then nine eleven happened, and we went to war, and it was like everything was serious. You know, so so. <laughs> Yeah, going off of that, how would you explain the, I want to say the, the real world experience of actually being, you know, active, you know, active duty member to like, you know, regular Americans who's just been kind of doused and drowning in kind of like American pop culture and troop worship ideology for the last 20 years. It's like, how do you, is it even possible to kind of disillusion people or kind of break through that or, you know, how I can tell you what. I can I can tell you some really really funny stories about people rolling up on me and, and like you know these kind of weird <laughs> kind of like you know thank you for your service type of deals and all of that and it's super <laughs> sometimes it's it's like super weird like I can recall one time 
uh, we were at the mall and we were like picking up like a few things there. And like some guy rolls up and was just like, yeah, me and my wife both support the troops. And in my mind, I was thinking like, and, and (laughs) my wife and I noticed you from across the bar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I was going to say there's, is, uh, is, is troop worship cuckold porn a thing yet? Cause if it's not, there's gotta be a market for that. There's some mark. Of course it's out there. There's a bottomless pit. Well, we don't, I don't know if this is that kind of podcast tonight, but Anyway, but yeah. Careful what you ask for. But anyway, yeah. Well, I, oh, sorry. I think I think there's, there's there's been quite a bit of conditioning. I think one of the things that they they didn't want to see, and I, you hear this a lot. You hear like the ghosts of Vietnam and stuff like that, and how like the Joes were treated or a, a, alleged to have been treated. You know, when they got back from the war or whatever, and then like I guess in that 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 played in the American conscience, I guess, and was just like, okay, we can't have like. You know, we need to, you know, have this troop worship <laughs> type of a deal, you know, to, you know, and it's all it's all part of to, like, support this, like, war effort It is to keep the people engaged in the war effort and stuff like that. So you get all this support, the troops, you know, and it was it was always also to, I guess, guilt trip anybody who, like, wasn't for the war or, you know, what I mean, that kind of stuff, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it it's 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 really annoying. I always found it annoying, but I mean, if you know, people want to want to go out and pay for your meal. Yeah, I wasn't totally opposed to that kind of stuff, but you know, but a lot of that stuff, China, it's a lot of it's like over the top. Just you know, just shut up with that, you know, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, like, I feel that Spencer. I, I mean, I was, I didn't do twenty year career like you did. I did, you know, I did my six by two enlistment, <laughs> most of which I wasn't even on active duty, but. But the the vibes were just like it was like yellow ribbons on the back of everyone's car. It was flag waving, and it was like people tripping over themselves to be like, you know, I, thank you for for dying a little bit every day to support my freedoms or whatever, you know. And it's like you can't you can't do a fucking public event without it being about the troops. And it's like at, at some point it's like, well, if you care about troops. And veterans stop generating veterans like let's let's stop let's stop sending them to these projects that doesn't doesn't it's not connected to anything that that has any practical value for anyone or 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 in a way that's like just and morally right and and so and so it's like i i would very much like you know like maybe call your congressman and ask why i don't have health care like even though i'm a veteran like maybe you know you know let's make sure like this empire wides down but but you start to broach that subject and then you've you've crossed a line and then pretty soon it's like just just as soon as like just as much as you were automatically given deference in society because you are a troop or a veteran the the opposite becomes true where you are you were cast out immediately and condemned for having the audacity to not take that grace right it's like when a comrade of ours did a little uh, little action at the at the Moda Center and got a hometown hero award, and then use that use that opportunity to call out Leopold Stevens for for supporting the IDF, you know, and that sort of thing. So much scorn fell on that veteran's feet. But you know what? That's that's because this is a this is a surface level paper thin honoring honorific, and it's really just about. The, the patriotic spirit it's it's about the nationalist spirit that's that's no different than 
believing in your football team, right? It's the same process. It's this kind of like imperial drive, right? And so, you know, that that's like that's the experience of being a troop in public life. But like the day to day stuff is like it's not like the video games or Hollywood. Like nothing like it at all. Like it's just you end up being in a bureaucracy with a bunch of incompetent assholes or or abusers or rapists or murderers, right? And there's all that going on behind the scenes. You've got incompetent chains of command who the farther up you go, the costs for their incompetence gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Like case in point, the Afghanistan papers, right? You got you got colonels and generals who are like, look, this isn't this isn't working and people just like don't pay attention to that let's just keep going anyway so the day-to-day sucks <laughs> it's a paycheck but i think that's where people kind of like they miss all like the day-to-day nonsense of like the military you know what i mean like that's that's the part that they always miss like you know you're you're scrubbing toilets you're getting yelled at you're doing a police call you know you're on some bullshit detail you know, stirring shit or something, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know, you know, or something like that. Yeah. You know, but, but people got this kind of romanticized idea about like what happened, like what's going on. Even even in combat, you yeah. know, most of the time you're not doing nothing. There's like, yeah, I mean, most of the time you're not doing anything. What is it? That's like, what is it? Something that's like 99 percent boredom and like one percent terror, I think, was the yeah. somebody described what it was like to be in the Navy in World War Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, most of the that's time, still true today. Yeah. <laughs> Marcos, you had something? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I know for me, like, it's very interesting because it's like, you know, it's the same thing where, you know, you get hyped up, you know, you're, you ain't shit until you X, Y, and Z until you've done this or you've done that. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, always points out to me sometimes is, you know, I haven't read Forever War, but I have read Smedley Butler's War is a Racket yeah. about how, like, you know, you know, for us, like, you know, we're told that this war, you know, we get thanked for our service and stuff like that. But the reality of it is, is we're just a small investment of blood, you know, just invest a little bit of blood into these battlefields. And now all of a sudden you have prime markets for McDonald's on, on all these different bases or, you know, all these weird like American corporations like popping up at the same time that the troops pop up or, you know, like all these mercenary groups that, you know, also pop up as well. Like, it's just it's it's a bit absurd. Like, it's, it, you know, everybody's like, you know, don't realize, like, sure, you can be thinking the troops. And when you see like a, you know, a pay raise or like, a you know, an increase of budget for military stuff, like everybody's like, well, you got to support the troops. Right. And it's like that's not what it's going towards. It's going towards, you know, all these different contractors who are like even, you know, listening to another favorite podcast of mine is Eyes Left, which is with Mike Preisner mm-hmm. and Spencer Rapone. Mm-hmm. You know, they talked about being on uh, a field op where, you know, there's a contract for like a new experimental weapon. And during that that operation, somebody got killed in that in that training exercise or that, you know, that that field operation. And, you know, later on, they found out that it was like a report that came from that 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 company that there was an error on their end, but then that got covered up. So here's this person who's like, you know, pulled the trigger on like, like I believe it was a mortar strike, thinking that, you know, he's responsible for causing the death of another person that like everybody cared about. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it's like, you know, <laughs> these are being used for like, it takes, you know, develop new weapons and stuff like that. That's where the money's going towards. It's not going towards us. But, you know, to, to go back into the more of the mundane, it's like, you know, it's, it's you know, 
day in, day out, same thing going on. You're working for the weekend until, you know, you end up on a field op or you end up like, I don't know, for us, like getting priority twos, you know, which means like it's, you know, we have to get them out of, you know, we have to fix radios as soon as possible. So cancel your plans for the weekend until you can finish all that up to help support like, you know, some of the units that require it because they're going getting ready to, to, to deploy and stuff. But, you know, I think one thing that always stood out to me, though, is the level of reprimanding we would get. You know, like I'm going to go a little dark here, but, you know, we we lost a few people, like even even on the Pogue side, like, you know, we lost people um, to suicide a lot. The You know, we have people that are suffering. There's a lot of broken people in the military and they're trying to, you know, find that kind of sense to kind of pull themselves out of it. And sometimes they do it in a way that's the most toxic and masculine way that possible. But, you know, you find out very quickly that's not how life works. You know, you yeah, sure, you have a mission. But, you know, what happens when you're jaded from it and you no longer see the point of it all anymore? I'm not saying this is what happened to, you know, some of the many people I've known that have passed away. But it's I still remember the time where, you know, we we, we lost somebody and being put into formation where a colonel just told us, like, it's our fucking fault because we weren't fucking looking out for each other. And that, you know, that we were the ones at fault the entire time, even though, like, we didn't know this person was like, you know, this person just had another day had another night at the bar, like just another fucking day and just was just discovered in the morning, you know, and, and to make it even fucking worse, like we had a fucking master sergeant that like when it came time to the funeral said, well, we're all essential personnel right now. So you're not allowed to go to the funeral. And then, you know, thank God we had a fucking Mustang that said, I appreciate your perspective, but fuck no, that's not true. You know, like in a Mustang is an officer who was previously enlisted. So, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, you know, with all the critiques that I have of the military, it's nice to have people that at least understand on the officer level how, like, certain recommendations aren't really what they're what they're supposed to be. You know? Yeah, that's heavy. That's heavy. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Have any, have any of y'all seen Five Came Home, uh, a story of Hollywood in World War Two? It's a document. It was first a book and then a documentary about five filmmakers who, if they didn't exactly enlist, they definitely went over to make make to kind of like, you know, just apply their their filmmaking to shoot stuff for the for the war department and at least one of them was actually i think near the end was coming back and actually doing was that one of the i can't remember what the hell they they would call it was effectively it's like like a like a veteran center or or like a military hospital near the end of the war was actually doing like interviewing guys you know who'd come back who were kind of going in for shell shock and it was kind of a thing where i mean he had like just graphic detail of you know, just visible PTSD from, you know, from, you know, this, what we, everybody thinks, everybody calls the good war. But it was kind of a thing where, you know, it gets plenty of the footage down and the war department censors it for God knows how many years because, you know, can't have that, um, you can't, you can't have that, you know, kind of leaking out and, you know, p- perhaps ruining the patriotic spirit. And, you know, just, and the other thing was talking about, when you talk about, like, you know, it's one of the things is, like, I don't know if, especially, you know, some of you younger listeners who might not remember it back then, but this was kind of the stuff where even, like, where the, the, the drive to do 
I don't want to not necessarily performative because I think this was a, I think a lot of people were were really wanted to be patriotic and really wanted to show their appreciation too. But even you get stuff like like NPR or Air America where you do like a lot of like thank you for your service stuff for a lot of the two thousands. And it just reminds me of if you ever get a chance to check out. There's a book by a guy, a, an author named Jerry Limke called oh Christ. What it's called? I mean, let me get the exact title here. It is a good book, actually. Uh, Har- the professor Harvey K helped him, you know, kind of gave him tips on how to write it. But it was called, yeah, Jerry Limke, uh, a book called "The Spitting Image: Myth, Memory, and the Legacy of Vietnam." And he wrote writes this great book in the late '90s, talking about how the the kind of myth of the spat upon returning veteran was kind of like created as this like urban legend. And then like Hollywood decided to kind of join in and, and illustrate that. And, and eventually at one point get, started getting a lot of help from the Nixon administration because they were they, to just to do whatever they could do to kind of, to put a, to kind of put a split between the, you know, any vets in the, and the anti-war movement and to kind of create this image, but to also, to to kind of like marginalize you know just like anti-war protesters and so it became like a, this very uncool thing in the 80s until you get into the, the 90s and then once you hit the 90s because i remember i was in high school when when desert shield and desert storm were happening and yeah i just remember that's when those yeah where you know the when the you know just yellow ribbons exploded and fucking lee greenberg's lee greenberg lee greenwood's song <laughs> Actually, had he been, has had his name. I'm kind of curious. Had his name actually been Lee Greenberg, if his if his song would have been you know that well played as it was, it really was. But I mean, you know, they played that shit on the local top forty rock station, and it was. And one of the things that Jerry Limke in his in, the, in his book Spitting Image points out is that they you they deliberately used so much of it's like we're, it's it was kind of the dry run of w era troop worship to, so that they realized they could they could you know they could kind of defeat any sort of anti-war movements and just kind of you know set the stage for all the shit that was going on in the 2000s so so yeah there's uh, if anyone listening in there's here's some viewing and reading suggestions Been Any follow-up comment, or should I ask another question? Is that a couple more? Well, I, I could, I could stay on this, this item for a long time because it's a, it's a big part of, I think, why folks like us are on this call is, is that you know the trauma associated with that experience is, it's like, it's not, you don't have to meet a test of, of saying, oh, you had, you did, you know, so many hours in a combat zone and you, you discharge your weapon and in X, Y, and Z ways in order to be entitled to experiencing trauma from your experience in the military. Being in the military is traumatic because it is an incredibly coercive institution. And yes, you volunteered to do it, but that doesn't mean you understood everything that was going to happen to you as you went in it. And even if someone laid it out chapter and verse, like, okay, these are the potential risks, you still can't predict how it's all going to unfold. People break and people crack and and your ability as a human being to sort of weather the storm does depend upon circumstances outside your control and so you know 
this experience of Marco shares is, is is relevant to me in other ways, as I'm sure we can all all appreciate. And and I feel like you know part of what we're trying to do as sort of anti-imperial veterans here is is to find find a way to not necessarily be excused of our role in the empire, but but maybe to use that experience as ways to connect with with veterans who are looking for a path forward here. And there's a couple roads they can take, right? Yeah. Can you can you talk about that of the importance of actually reaching out and even, I mean, I'm not you know just reaching out to kind of either returning vets or just you know folks who've been back for a long time. You know, the importance of, of getting to them and like helping out before say they like you know they fall into you know either just like just intense traumatic you know, just horrible situations or wind up or wind up like getting like really involved in like QAnon or some shit or wind up like Ashley Babbitt, you know, mm-hmm. being the being the veteran and the true believer who didn't didn't quite make it out of the uh, Capitol building way back in January. It's kind of things like, yeah, getting to folks before, say, either the Q people or any of like the militia people do. Yeah, I, it's it's incredibly important. It's also really hard. Chances are you've already missed your window. In most cases, because you're 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 going to be in those cultural spaces before you even separate from the military, because you you can have Facebook in the military, right? And you have certain reference groups that already exist in your social life waiting for you when you get out that give you a high a high likelihood that you'll fall into some sort of chud life, for lack of a better terminology here. But that doesn't mean you don't try to organize like there's the thing about being at war forever is you generate a lot of veterans millions of veterans so that means there's always some proportion of veterans out there who who don't necessarily fall easily into that trap but are disaffected disillusioned and potentially looking for some meaning and the thing that you lose when you leave the army or the the marines the air force navy whatever it is 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 a very close knit kind of camaraderie, right? You, 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 what, what they do to you is they break down your sense of this, this myth that you're an individual and society, by the way, there's no society. It's just, you know, Thatcherite kind of view of the world. It's just a sum of individuals. And then they, they disabuse you of that notion and say, guess what? You're not an individual. You're part of this team. You're part of this unit. And so you, 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 you learn how to, 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 kind of conduct yourself as part of a unit and so when you separate even if you hated every part of that you're going to be missing that camaraderie in some sense and so you know veterans can deal with that through drug and alcohol abuse a huge problem or they might fall into this like QAnon world or 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 other chud adjacent spaces or they just you know, might go to their local American Legion post or something like that, which also sucks. Or they, or they might, or they might like show up to a protest someday, right? And they, you know, there was that whole like last summer, you out of nowhere, there's this wall of vets guys. Like I, I, and I don't know any of these guys, but for whatever reason, they thought the the DHS officers gassing protesters was intolerable. And so they may not share all of my politics, but that's an opportunity to make connections and say, let's talk about empire. Let's talk about what that was about. You know, we in the DSA here, we, we've tried to do that. It's, it's, but again, it's really difficult because you're fighting an uphill battle. I, I've said a lot here on that subject, so I'll just I'll just kind of stop talking. 
I think I think my view is kind of like the the like the wars have like really have really like radicalized people on kind of like both sides. I think and like you know it it all and I think it also depends on the person as well. You know, some people you know do go down those paths of like fascism or racism or whatever after they you know after they get out or or, or whatever it is that they do. But I also I think that's more so kind of a like a way they were raised kind of an issue. I don't know if I guess the thing is like you can you can talk to people blue in the, blue in the face about X Y Z, but but like you know you know I guess at the end of the day it's up to them and what their personal opinions are for them to like you know make them want to like, like I got friends now I got a couple guys I think would be good members. If they wanted to join, but I don't. I don't force that upon them. Yeah, I, I just kind of want to, you know, let that be their own decision to make. You know, instead of like trying to coerce them to do something or convince them to do it. You know, that's kind of what, like, that kind of how I handled it. You know, I don't like to push. You know. Yeah, I, I think you know. For me, I, I I know for me that a lot of the way that I ended up radicalizing was through you know literally just getting therapy, <laughs> you know, like, you know, not just like, and not that I didn't already have like kind of certain notions of like being, you know, radicalized or anything like that. Like I grew up with undocumented parents. So, you know, there's a very specific kind of like line that I fall towards, but, you know, you can still have people that, you know, you know, support like open borders, but still be sort of reactionary still. It's also very interesting to see some of the demographics, especially like me as a, as, as a Chicano veteran, watching other Chicanos, uh, Chicanas, Chicanes basically advocating for border enforcement, even though like they're, 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 you know, there's people that, you know, are my shade or even darker that are like trying to advocate for like people to, to be locked up at the borders. I've even had people that when I got out, like it, it's an interesting dynamic because when you're in, you have to work together. It's not, you don't really talk too much about politics or, you know, you got a chance yeah. to like, you, you get a chance to like, you know, sometimes like you get fucking you'll find somebody and, you you know, you end up behind like, you know, the, the tree line or something like that. You go take care of it because you guys got to work together. So um, trying to make the best at, at being in person. But, you know, when you get out, like then you see people's true colors come out, things that they've been holding on to that you didn't realize like was there. You know, I got told multiple times, you know, somebody, I guess, didn't realize like I had undocumented parents and they tried to convince me that I should support having a border <laughs> or, you know, different things like, you know, that just a lot of different things like, you know, thought that the word that the acronym of POC stand for piece of crap or something like that, which is like piss me the fuck off. But I think for trying to reach out to veterans specifically, you know, this is also, you know, a bit of a tangent, but, you know, something that I've been trying to recognize and trying to kind of work towards as well is the idea that like you know the united states really sucks with community rituals it's very focused on individuality and not to say that you know individuality is like important not important or anything like that it's just you know what they do well in the military is make you feel like you're a part of something right and sometimes people are looking for what their next mission is now not everybody's going to ch- uh, choose the same mission or anything like that but i think having that of space where you can kind of you know work through a lot of shit that you've gone through you know, like having a space where you can have, you know, you can have that conversation with somebody. I know I, I, I have one of my best buds 
who, you know, we were talking about how, like, we we learn how to say I love you to each other <laughs> and not just saying, like, fuck you, man. Like, <laughs> you know, that kind of, like, spirit. I mean, we still do to this day, but it's it's less of that, like, toxic machismo and more of, like, hey, like, I fucking appreciate you and I'm glad you're here for me. You know, that kind of stuff. And having that constant interaction, being able to be vulnerable with one another, I don't think there's a lot of spaces for that. You know, like, I, I've, you know, I, I heard of this best that, like, you know, America itself is, like, very technologically advanced but you know community technology fucking terrible at it and you know for people that you know find spirituality to you know be um, in their favor as well that it's not a very developed spiritual kind of center you know i've, I've got friends who got out and became uh, muslim have become buddhist and become all these different things and they find these spaces where they feel so welcome with different groups and allows them to kind of manifest <sighs> what's i heard this best in a lot of the chicano writings of like trying to recreate the idea of like this like toxic nationalism and like kind of focusing it on communities where it's like you know you can be a warrior still but you're you, the warrior that you're becoming is to become like the person that you know if there's a need at like you know the community needs that you're the one there that you know you've got all these skills you put your body to the limit you know you've done things that you never thought you were capable of but now you have the opportunity to, to you know see what your limits are and you can put it to something that you want now you're no longer a part of that machine anymore that you're somebody that you know has that ability to just bring community together you know maybe not necessarily as a leader but i you know like you know just having the skills and being able to apply to something that's you know just greater than yourself uh, i think that's the one thing that i've been trying to kind of navigate and see like how to kind of incorporate that into into more spaces whether it's like you know, some people have really good skills with like using firearms and stuff like that. Like maybe you create a group of people that you go out and like you, you train with. I know. And especially with people who never had that experience. I know like QT BIPOC folk like sometimes don't always have the opportunity to go out to these spaces because of the way the, you know, firearm communities can be so toxic. And so I'm going to go ahead and check on that. I, you know, I feel like I've been rambling on for a while, but it- yeah, that was great. Thank you, James. Anything on from yeah. here? Oh. I have. A little bit, not too much, and I won't go on too long, but I have a very different kind of niche in all of that, in that everyone I served with, I served with on submarines. And so it's a really easy segue from, hey, that was absolute shit. Like, how many things are you claiming for disability? Oh, I'm claiming these. Like, there's a lot of camaraderie in that coming out of that. And it's really easy to segue from, hey, all that sucked to what did we actually do? Like, I don't know. I've got medals for shit that I am not cleared to know what to do with. Like I have it. I did something, I guess, but like we didn't do shit. Nothing like nothing would have changed if we weren't there. And that's an easy transition for me with other sub submarine vets, which is kind of the only circle I'm in veteran wise. And that's, it's, you know, by no means like a guarantee or something, but that's an easy segue for me. And that's also something that I translate a lot out, kind of tying back to the troop worship and, you know, all that patriotism. It's really easy to spell out all the a lot of the shit I went through. And it's not glamorous. It's not sexy. It's not cool. It's, oh, God, like, how, how deep was that pool of oil you were crawling through? Fuck, like, I don't want to do that. So that's a it kind of goes both uh, and goes towards both questions. But that's about all I got for that. Well, I mean, yeah, and they 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 like the they like all the glorious stuff, like you know, all the they like the action and all of that. You know, they don't like that. that that's what I was talking about earlier, like all the day to day stuff. They don't want nothing to do. Yeah, with. yeah. They don't want to do it with the administrative stuff. 
especially with the paperwork. They don't, they, they don't know anything about that. They know, you know, they want to hear like, you know, action stories and, and you know, shootouts and, and, and tank battles. And that's what they want to hear because that's what they think is what's <laughs> what's happening out there, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, fortune and glory. You know, it's like the, the yeah, that's the kind of thing I was like. I'm just I'm thinking about my own, my own grandfather was a submariner in in WW2, mainly because he's got tired of getting. I think he got out of high school. He, yeah, his he got the he didn't even complete high school. Come to think of it, I think he he enlisted in 1942 out of his junior year of high school, got into the navy. Pretty much stayed on surface ships for a while, and then wound up in wound up <laughs> in a uh, on a in a gunner's position on a surface ship during the Battle of Coral Sea. Decided that he did not like getting shot at, and so he signed up for sub school. And I think actually either was in the process of getting going through sub school, but then also wound up going you know surviving midway too. So he's in like both like you know the two, the two largest naval conflagrations of all time, and you know, and I think he want at that point he was like, yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, go you know just go under the water and just not get shot at for a while. But it's yeah, but it's kind of a thing where it really it's an interesting. It is a very interesting change of culture, and you can kind of tell of, you know, from like veterans from like you know, way, you know, from from that era to like this era of like the entire the way they're treated, the way that they're you know rendered in pop culture and just kind of viewed. Yeah, I think just viewed popularly. And we're back. Yeah, if it's cool, if it's cool with y'all, it's my my partner wanted to like either listen in and join in for a little bit just to talk about like the uh, you know dealing with veterans from the support end. But uh, oh, but one thing, but yeah, I wanted to. One thing I did want to bring up is in another you know topical in another way of, and again, this was definitely kind of the like post desert storm kind of a, in like the propaganda ramp up up in, you know from the 90s on up until once we hit you know post September 11th but was the usage of hero of like soldiers as heroes and it was one of the things that I noticed because in the last year whenever <laughs> the 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 I don't know what I guess you could call it either like a, almost like a contradiction, but anyway, but yeah, I just, I'll, but I'll uh, tee this up of the contradiction of essential workers going from, which is, which is the, just this great, you know, talk about it, this great ideological way to, I don't know what whitewash, just the, the lowest paid, you know, care worker support people as now all of a sudden they're, they're not just kind of like low skilled workers they're now essential but you start you started to see like all of those signs saying like heroes work here and one of the things people you know some a couple of people point out is like that's not good because heroes tend to make uh, heroes tend to sacrifice themselves valiantly and it's like oh your heroic sacrifice and we're sorry for that and it's almost like a thing of like this weird ideological construct to hide the fact that our country couldn't supply PPE to all the people that needed to thanks to the jacked up market rates and so I just kind of wondered if 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 you, if you if anybody had any thoughts about the kind of like the heroization of of you know of like 
of like you know people who just say you know they enlisted because they wanted just to get the hell out of like you know backwoods Indiana or you know maybe some like you know queer trans kids you know did it just to get the hell out of a really bad situation and then all of a sudden he kind of goes through this you know this horrible situation and comes back and all of a sudden now you're you know you're the hero for supporting Empire. Well, that, yeah, that's interesting. Well, hmm. well, I think that you know I, I think about what why I got in. And like to be clear, like none of this is on the brochure. You know what I mean? When you sign up, it's not on the brochure. You're some kid looking for an opportunity. You know, invading countries, stealing the natural resources, and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, it's not on the. They don't. That's not what they openly talk about. You know what I'm saying? I didn't find out till years later that that's what the fuck was actually happening. You know, long after they then they then got me for, you know, one combat tool already. But but I mean, like I said, you just don't they don't it's not openly talked about. So so what is framed is like kind of the service and duty and things like that, which, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing um, as far as with like the what the military kind of kind of instills in you. Not all of it's bad, but I think as far as like the hero thing goes, I think it's just a. I always feel like it's just a lack of understanding of like what actually goes on in the military. You know what I mean? So, and it, to to go back to that kind right. of thinking, I guess you know what I mean. It, you know, just a lack of not knowing what's happening. I mean, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care too much for it. You know, I at no point in time, yeah, I don't ever feel like I was ever particularly heroic. Most of the time, I was just trying to, you know, I was running for my life most of the time. You know, doing, you know, doing convoys and all that and hoping nothing happened, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, like, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at, you know. But, you know, of course, the somebody might see you comment like that and be like, oh, that guy's a coward, you know, like, nah, bro. But you, you hope that nothing goes on. Like, you don't want to be out there, and, you know, firefights. None of that's, yeah, like James said, like, none of that's cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's all fun and games, so you get hit. <laughs> then when you get hit, then it's you know, <laughs> and he's scared to death. But but I don't know. Like it's just kind of like, and then like you got this kind of this whole culture that like fetishizes that a little bit. You know, you've got this kind of like, uh, like this kind of like you know, it's in the movies, and it's in the it's in the fucking you know the news media. You know, just kicks these messages out all the time. It's, it's not necessarily the fault. It's not our fault. You know, we just looking for an opportunity and then, you know, we get sucked into this this craziness of, of like, you know, soldier worship and all of that, you know. But I don't know. I mean I think and I think most people are just like like veterans are just kinda like, you know, you know, fuck that man. You know, get out of my face with that, you know. You know what I mean? Like I was more than too happy to like <clears throat> get away from all of that. You know, once I had retired, I was just like, I don't have to put on this uniform and be out here and I got to hear somebody talk about how their uncle was in and their grandpa and, you know, this, that and whatnot. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it gets irritating. Now I, I don't have to deal with it. I'm glad. So, yeah, the, the hero thing is kind of gross to me. I suspect it is for a lot of things because it's not for the veteran or the troop. It's for the empire and the ideological maintenance of that, that commitment, a nationalist drive. So the 
the folks who really care about the hero worship stuff, the folks who get super excited to stand up and do the Pledge of Allegiance at the sports game, those are the ones that care about it. Because if you don't, if, if you don't have that practice in public life to worship troops as heroes, then then you've then you don't you're not part of a winning team. Then you've you've you know you've lost some connection to this this the America the Mighty project kind of thing. Because I mean, it, as Spencer kind of pointed out, like it's just like if you're a troop, you just don't fucking you don't give a shit about any of that. Like you know it's you know it's bullshit because you know you're not a hero. I mean, it's is it heroic to go to the PX? Is it heroic to like fucking get your 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 pre-combat checks done correctly and not get you know counsel about it? You know, is, is that heroism? Is it her- heroic to show up to formation on a Monday morning after you've been drinking all weekend? None of that's heroic. That, that's not heroism. People people think like they they got they got some sort of Jerry Bruckheimer model of heroism in their mind. They got Audie Murphy. They've got this kind of like these legends and myths about extraordinary performance in battle and that's heroism but you know just going back to the bush era stuff and i'm sure this goes much deeper than that but like my my experience with this starts in the bush era it's you had to universalize this idea of of valor and uh heroism because everyone is part of it in the united states just like it just like it was like in terms of like the ownership society, like everyone's part of, you know, Fortune 500 companies making record profits. Like we're all we're all in it. And so so like our, our project in this global war on terror thing means that we all have a stake in the heroism claims. And that wasn't obvious to me in the very beginning because like everyone else, I got swept up in it kind of in the early days. But but it's like it, it gets old real quick. And it's pretty obvious once you do it. And then it's like, then you're out in like 2006 or whatever the fuck year it was. And then, and then it's still going on 14 years later, 15 years later. You're like, Jesus Christ, let it go, people. There's no heroism in this. Yeah. The, um, see, Marco, so James, any, any additions? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of it is, you know, I think a lot of good points were definitely hit, especially like recognizing that, you know, heroism is just for the empire. And even then it's like, like I mentioned earlier, like it's it's not just for the like you know it's also for like these corporations that are out there, not necessarily for like the people to your left and right. I know I know for me by by the end of it all, I didn't you know really give a shit about the mission anymore. I just gave a shit more about like the people to my left and right taking care of like you know like sure I'm an NCO, but you know I'm supposed to care about the mission, but I didn't care. It, it was more about like taking care of like junior Marines and trying to lead the next one to be like learning how to be more skeptical about it. Um, not saying that was perfect or anything like that, but once 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 I started hitting therapy, I started you know you start to realize like fuck man like there's a lot of broken people here, a lot of people that don't like haven't had the fucking chance to be fucking vulnerable sometimes because vulnerability is weakness, and you know that you know sometimes when you have that kind of attitude of recognizing it's okay to be vulnerable, you become a target in commands. You know, people don't want to don't want that, you know, vulnerability because that's a sign of weakness, and if that's weak, then the rest of the unit is weak. But you know. That, that you know that's not the heroism that people like you know like you know that, that I don't consider that heroism or anything like that that's just more of like you know everybody wants to be that hero so they like stuff away all these like toxic kind of like traits inside of themselves and just like kind of have this sort of like self-hate and always like you know for me even to this day you know I always describe like the my inner critic as like my inner drill instructor where it's like it's always there every single time I fuck up on something it's constantly yelling at me and you know it's it's hard to let go of it 
You know, it's it's you know, you you want to you want to have that fucking mission. You want to be that hero still, but like you know, you you know, for a lot of people, even even for me recently, it's just like prioritizing that mission sometimes comes at the expense of you know the person, um, especially if you've never like gone back and did a little R and R. You know, and, you know, that still applies to a lot of people's lives is like, you know, oh, well, like I've got to I've got this next mission I got to work on or I've got to take care of this without ever taking a moment to like slow down and just being like, you know, there's I don't have to be a fucking hero. I, I can just be a fucking person again. And, you know, it's 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 man, it's just it's difficult sometimes. And I don't think people like when when they when you get thanked for your service, they're not thanking you for like all that different stuff. They just know they're like, oh, it's hard. It's it's, you know, all this different things. But it's like in reality, like. It's not hard when you're going through it. You look back and you're like, I could have fucking done more. I half-assed this one. Like, you know, my fitness test, like, I, I didn't really care. Like, I was I was drunk as shit and I didn't want to run fast, you know? <laughs> and, that, uh, and somehow that didn't disqualify you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's your sense of heroism for the fucking event, right? <laughs> but, you know, in, in the end, it's like when you get thanked by a complete stranger who has this idea of, like, fuck like the movie fucking american sniper where like that's what they fucking see as like a fucking hero and you're just like nah dude like the most i ever fucking killed was like a fucking radio like because it was a test set radio and i threw on the wrong circuit card or some shit but even then like i still appreciate what uh what is it james rogan said about that fucking movie of like it's like watching that fucking the nazi sniper scene at the end of fucking inglorious bastards right <laughs> they're all there watching the movie and everybody's applauding and stuff like that and that's what people see and that's what they want it's like like literally like i i, I haven't even seen the fucking movie i didn't want to see it but like I, I heard it's like him glorifying like shooting fucking civilians yeah like it's fucking terrible I mean, that's that's the shit that people saw. I remember, like, at the time I had Facebook, I got rid of that shit. But, uh, you know, you, you see all these people, like, commenting about it, like, oh, my God, like, thank the troops. And it's like, this is this is not fucking OK. Like, this is not OK. Like, this is, like, justifying a lot of, like, a lot. It's, you know, like, it's apologetics, I guess, or whatever the right term is for that. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just not it's just such a toxic view of what heroism is instead of, like, looking at it more like a more human level of it, I guess, in a way. Check. Hmm. I always wondered, yeah, I always, <laughs> I always wondered why people said check at the end of a, uh, of a voice chat and that, but not over. But uh, James, you have anything? I got nothing to add. Everyone said it very well. I don't have anything fresh. Were you guys, were you, were any of you around when the, uh, the Punisher skull shit started showing up or was that all like, pro yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember. I remember that on my first deployment in 2004, and we started using. It was like kind of like a calling card where they would like they take a stencil and they spray it on somebody's door or some shit, let them know that they was coming or whatever. I, they they had it on the. They used to have them up on the up armored plates. So like you had the 50 cal on on the turret, but then you had this plate that the 50 cal set between. And you would start seeing those on the on the plates, you know, they started showing up and then it was like it was like patches and shit like that. You know, it just kind of like, no, I distinctly remember that. That was that I saw this. That was my first point when I saw that. Hmm. I don't remember seeing the Punisher skulls when I was out there in 2005. But I mean, I do remember that that same aesthetic. So maybe mm. I just missed it. Maybe it was just blended in with all the other bullshit. The, uh, the shit you buy at the PX with all the extra spots for patches, you know, yeah. that, that bullshit gear, you know, with like all the fucking pockets. Uh, it's yeah, like, yeah. I don't need all these pockets, bro. I don't need them. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's if it's cool. yeah, yeah if cool. it's not if it's not black and tactical, then yeah. why the hell wear you know why wear why should anybody wear it? Yeah, yeah. I saw a fair number of Punisher schools and that sort of shit when I was in. Ironically, or they weren't used ironically, but at the time, like even Shuddy James thought it was ridiculous. It's a bunch of fucking electricians and like sonar technicians rolling up to work on their, you know, their fucking. Uh, brand new Dodge Charger that they took out three loans to get from the shop across the street from the base. They're covered in Punisher skulls and like their gym bag has a Punisher skull that they bring only to the fitness test twice a year. Yep. And, but yeah, like a lot of, a lot of people love that aesthetic in the submarine world, but like no one like was a fighter. We were mechanics and electricians and like plumbers and you know, you just roll up with your skull. Oh yeah, that, that is one thing that always made me laugh because I was—I'm old enough that I was a—I was a fan of—I was a fan of the Punisher comic when that really when, when that first came around in like 1990, 91. It's kind of funny. To, it's, I'm kind of curious to see if had that Dolph Lundgren and Louis Gossett Jr. kind of weird Australian-made Punisher adaption actually gotten more popular. If that if it would have had quite the same, if that would have made the that that skull just as uh, popular. If that was the pop culture icon they had to go off of. How much of the uh, the like the hero and worship stuff do you think comes from the fact that that you know effectively like mass conscription was ended like fifty years ago? Because I'm wondering that's one of the things that I've always been thinking about in the back of my head. Because you know I was very close to you know to signing up to go go to the academy, but wound up not doing it. But I was, I was wondering if like after this point, like we've seen what fifty years of all volunteer empire is like that would you know would have would. Would conscription, you know, what would have conscription changed, if anything, either either politically or culturally? You know, I it's a good question to ask. And I mean, it's a big counterfactual, but yeah, yeah. I am. I know how I would have answered this question probably ten years ago, but seeing what I've seen since then, I don't think it would have changed much of anything. Like, I think that I think that. There's one argument, the popular argument is that if you have a draft or mass conscription, then it's politically unpopular to have forever wars and all that. And so you don't have this like endless valorization of it all. But we also can look at other societies that have mass conscription. I mean, look at Israel. Involuntary, uh, you have mandatory service, and there's no, there's no less of a cultural turn towards imperialism and, and, and war there. And, you know, if if Israel can pull that off, the United States can pull that off too. And so this isn't like the 60s and the 70s, early 70s anymore. And so I think my current position on this is that if there was uh, an, an uninterrupted draft from for the last 50 years, I think we might actually be in a much worse totalitarian kind of war regime than we are now. That's my, that's my hot take. I don't know. Maybe maybe it changes tomorrow. But I just I, I I guess I'm just not underestimating the ability for our our ideological institutions to kind of validate that that social pressure. Well, I think you brought up an interesting point about Israel and they 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 are they they are, they do have a draft. You have to serve two years. However, I hear some not so great things about their about their overall kind of discipline and structure of the military. Uh-huh. Uh, I, hear, I hear they're not so great, though, as far as as a 
fighting force goes. That's something here or there, but I do think I do think conscription might have something to do with that though. But but I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of I don't know if conscription is a good thing though. I don't think I don't know if that's a to make people do things to like force them to join the military. I mean, I'd, I'd be something that I'd be I'd be against just because. Just because you're going to have people that, you know, aren't going to want to be there. And, you know, we you know how dealing with people that don't want to be there, you know, it can, it can be a difficult, difficult thing to deal with when you, when you got a, you got some guy who just doesn't want to be there. So, I mean, of course, you get that in a volunteer situation, too. They might get in and then decide that this isn't for them. But but if you conscript them you put them in they don't want they don't want to do this they don't want to be here you know i i don't want to agree with that and i don't know if politically i don't think politically that can be done i don't know if that's uh i mean they're already having questions about women joining the, the selective service and that's already kind of becoming a a bit of an issue but so let alone like you know a cons you know conscription so I, that'd be, I think that might be a, that might be a tough to, to pass. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, this is, I, I kind of want to touch a little bit on how the idea of like an all volunteer military kind of also looks like it kind of reminds me of the idea where you have like, you know, you have free choice to do whatever you want. You, you live in a free country. But, you know, when I, when I talk to people about making life choices for careers, you got college, trade school, or the military as being one of the three options. And how even just in the military is such an easy pipeline for like economic elevation, maybe not necessarily if we look at it like, you know, you know, whether you're working class or like being a business owner, but, you know, being more of like you'll work more jobs and get more opportunities. I know for myself, I've been able to get jobs at like in the tech field at like SpaceX and like different areas that I would never had that opportunity if I was like not in the military. Also don't work at SpaceX. That place sucks that, you know, it, but the, the illusion of like everybody here is a volunteer also kind of adds to like the shaming aspect of it, at least on the individual where it's like, you know, like I, I know one of the, one of the, one of the, the acronyms for the uh, Marine Corps, the USMC is you sign the motherfucking contract. Like you're here, like you volunteered for this, like, why the fuck are you trying to, like, you know, get out of it or whatever? You t yeah, um, you, you took the king shilling. Exactly. And so, like, you know, there's that level of, like, not to mention, like, you know, even recruiting recruiting tactics of, like, you know, I, you know, I live in an area where, you know, there's a, there's a freeway and you can tell between the street of, like, what's working class and what's, you know, the higher class people. And you can see all these, like, Marine Corps, Army, Air Force, Navy billboards in the working class neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And then you go over to, like, you know where all the rich kids live and you know the billboards they say is welcome to our friendly neighborhood <laughs> you know you know it's just it's just the the tactics are pretty sleazy and you know for a lot of people especially for people that come from either broken households that come from like they want to you know i know for me like my parents weren't documented and all the propaganda that was fed to me i felt like i needed to earn my right as a citizen you know fucking starship troopers kind yep. of thing. service guarantees citizenship God, I don't, I don't see yeah. the service. What is it? Service grant citizenship. I think the the line is. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, you know, like, when I think about it, too, like, how, like, so many, like, you know, when I think about, like, just, like, the dehumanization process of a lot of, like, you know, BIPOC folk and how, like, you want to feel like you're human and what's the way to fucking prove yourself has always been the battlefield. You know, that's a place where people feel like, you know, it's a great equalizer. A bullet doesn't discriminate about what kind of skull it pierces. And so, like, just this idea, even historically, of, like, the, you know, whether it's the Chicano movement and, like, the civil rights movement, that it all, there's this big tie-in between like people that you know do military service come out of it and they're like well i'm a fucking human so we have rights you know like after having that experience of like i can if i can fucking be shot at i I don't have to deal with all this discrimination over here and then you also have the other coin where it which is like well we're the good ones because we decided to serve and so we're the we deserve to have this because now we're the really good citizens and so you know there's this big contradiction that happens within military service and where people radicalize essentially but you know i whether or not a conscription would be good for that, I don't know. I think there's just so many things already that's in place that, like, I don't know. If, I know, like, the big concern with a conscription is just, like, you know, there's just, I, and I can't, you know, 100% confirm this, is just, like, the the increased amounts of fragging, perhaps, or mutinies and stuff like that. You know, but, you know, it's hard to say because, like, when you're indoctrinated with such, like, you know, like, growing up as a kid, like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like, I play video games and watch all these war movies, like, you know, Black Hawk Down, and, like, you want to seem like a badass and stuff like that, and, you know, that's going to be a hard thing to kind of work past, and I don't know if, you know, you know, just also, like, what would, what would, what would, what would a conscription, what, where would we actually need a conscription in that way, where, you know, we already, there's already a plenty of people already who are volunteering and filling in the jobs that are needed, and they're constantly downsizing as well. So mm-hmm. I guess I know I don't know I guess that's a little bit beyond what I can think of right now. Gotcha. Well, uh, it's a couple more. We, once again, thanks thanks for thanks y'all for sharing your time talking about this stuff tonight. This is I always find these kind of these talks to be worthwhile. One of the things that I did I don't know if this is necessarily a, <laughs> I don't think this is necessarily a heavier topic because we've gotten pretty heavy. But like my partner, I wanted to include her a little bit because she's done she's worked with would you say what helping helping vets with ment- with like mental health services or yeah in crisis in crisis do you do you want to talk on Mike about uh, sure. chat uh, chat um, chat with them about it or sure. something or sure I could say a little bit anybody, anybody say hi to Rachel Rachel say hi to here come on up and hi Rachel hi hello Rachel hi nice to meet you all nice to meet you uh, thank you so much for doing this like I said earlier my grandfather was a World War II veteran and he was. He joined the military out of financial necessity, and he hated war and hated military culture. He died years ago, but I know he would have fully supported what you're what you're doing and what you're saying. And I'm a social worker, and a fairly decent percentage of the people we work with are veterans. So a lot of what you said resonated with me, especially the stuff about heroes. Uh, I think that's especially prevalent with the military, but... With a lot of other professions, calling people heroes is a good way to justify <laughs> not providing them with decent pay or decent working conditions. You know, down the street from here, there's a nursing home that says, with a sign that says, heroes work here. And it's like, don't call them here. You know, pay your yeah. CNAs a living wage and give them <laughs> adequate staffing and decent working conditions. And, apps, and uh, you know, I think that, that, not that I would compare what I've been through to what veterans have been through, but in social work, that's prevalent too. It's like, you don't need to, you know, decent pay. You're, you're a hero. You know, I think that's prevalent. 
in our culture widely. And we talked a little bit about veteran suicide. As I'm sure you're well aware, veteran suicide rates are astronomical. They have decreased a little bit in the past few years, but they're still astronomical. And I think everything you've described about military culture, about everything veterans go through, is a total perfect storm of suicide risk. I don't know, you're, you've probably all heard the term moral injury when someone has had to do something that was against their deeply held core beliefs. That is a huge part of uh, veteran suicide risk. And I think also just being used and I having <laughs> kind of realizing, coming to the realization of being fed so many lies and then not not finding the right kind of help when they return, there are just so many factors that uh, lead to the astronomical rise, the astronomical rates of suicide veterans. And I mean, I, I work with great people. I know there are some great people at, you know, at the VA, but the root, <laughs> the root cause is still there, which is people being forced to witness and do things that nobody should ever have to witness and do. So, yeah, thank you so much for, for speaking your truth. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to say one topic is: Would a country that you know that loudly proclaims as support for folks like that, you know, <laughs> just how's that for a contradiction of the of the of the amount of shit that it talks and for support versus the actual care people get either in or once they get back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want stories on that? I could tell you stories for days about my five-year-now battle with the VA to try and get healthcare and disability and shit. Like, it's just ludicrous. Like, I didn't know that I had access to any sort of VA benefit for three years after I got out. Like, I tried to file for medical claims and shit when I was leaving, and I had a two-minute interview with a doctor who told me, you're back in knee pain Sounds like muscle fatigue. You should try and sleep some more and do some stretches, and yeah. it'll all get taken care of. That's all. Thanks. Bye. I'm surprised he didn't offer you like essential oils or something. Uh, that was that was the the psych eval I did several years later for uh, sleep issues and nightmares, where he gave me a medical grade white noise CD oh. and told me that he was going to pray for me. What? Oh, that's fucking nice. After a three-month sleep study where he's like, oh, shit, you don't sleep hardly at all. Here, here, try this white noise CD. I'll be praying for you. Good. Mil-spec medical-grade white noise CD is great. That's yeah. that's heroism right there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. But, like, and I, I have, you know, the smallest of stories compared to, like, my cousin that I've reconnected with who was... Uh, homeless and uh, struggled with all sorts of addiction in and out of jail after he got out of the National Guard after, I think, four back-to-back tours and just completely destroyed his life and took almost a decade before the VA could be bothered to, like, help him get off the street. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, heroes work here. (laughs) That's that's enough. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, I remember reading an article on, and I think it was NPR before, about how, you know, for a lot of, like, veterans and stuff, 
like when not even veterans especially like the special forces guys where they know that like the stuff that they're putting him through is like gonna break them and to save money they they just wait for them to get at like to get stepped out basically you know they know they're gonna become a problem they know they're gonna do something like that's gonna get them out of the military and to save costs like they just wait for that to kind of fall apart rather than they wait for that to fall apart rather than you know like giving them the care that they need and deserve like it's like they're what they're waiting for the train wreck to happen so that they can be like oh well that's going to save us on costs and you know you get separated as like an other than honor or not other than honorable but what is it and man i forgot the codes already (laughs) the bad conduct discharge yeah bad conduct discharge exactly and what you know with the bad conduct discharge like that not only just screws you over for like you know medical for medical benefits but that screws you over for like job prospects too now you're oh yeah you're a security you're a security liability now and so like you know if you if and i'm not saying like you know what they did is okay or anything like that but like that just lets you know that like even within the military they're trying to cut corners because like you know the care is not necessarily supposed to be there and i don't know it's just it's just interesting to see it all and even just like you know even as a pope just reading all these articles and like just seeing like how this is all playing out from a distance you know, there's a neoliberal means testing, you know, market savvy empire. Great. The I'm trying to give a question like to wrap up on. I wanted to ask something about either either you know words for anybody out there who may offhand listen to that, or maybe something about how I'm trying to think of like not quite a you know how do we end this with like either like a if not like a call to action at least a because uh, I'm also want to do something like. I have this unformed thought about, like, how your experiences that, you know, that you got through there got you out and out, you know, how, how, how did they, or how can it radicalize you in the good way as opposed to kind of like, you know, spinning you off into going to be like an oath keeper or some shit? And, uh, well, I think, I think there's got to be some degree of research, I think. So the, the way I, I, I came to this was, I had uh, watched a couple documentaries. I had, uh, this is really funny. I had watched the uh, Loose Change documentary. I think I told you this, uh, Mitch. I had watched the Loose Change documentary and then like it all started from there. Mm-hmm. And then it was like a couple other movies that I had watched. It was like, uh, Profiteers. And one of the movies I, I watched, it had the soldiers, the Abu Ghraib soldiers, the prison. You guys remember that when they were abusing those prisoners? The Abu Ghraib? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they had the soldiers that were all a part of that, and they were telling their side of the story. And basically, the contractors told them that that was okay to do, right? They was like, yeah, just, you know, yeah, just abuse these guys. Apparently, that's what, that was their official story. But but it went into a lot of other things like KBR and how Dick Cheney was kind of like, was the, the CEO of Halliburton and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was like drawing all these kind of connections and then... And start this war and the company he used to run mysteriously wins all these bids to to be life support out in Iraq. You know what I mean? So like all of that was all of that was strange. But it all started from there and then like kinda by the time my second deployment got around, I began to think that something was really wrong here. You know, so and then after that it was kinda like I went to school and then you know, my teacher told me to read the Communist Manifesto, so I did, and then, you know, and then here I am, you know, so, yeah, so I don't know, I mean, like, that was kind of my my journey, but, you know, I guess I'd imagine that, of course, you guys have a different journey, I guess, that brought us to this podcast, I guess, so. 
Yeah, I'll say, you know, I, I, I suspect that we all have, have a similar experience in this regard. Like, for me, like, you you have these moments where you're experiencing something about the war or, or just, just the nature of the military that's disillusioning. And little cracks open up. And you might have been lucky enough to have some NCO there who pulled you aside and said, hey, you know, we're out here pulling watch for what? What are we doing? You know, have you heard about Dick Cheney and Halliburton? You know, so I, I have that story too, Spencer. But I, I mean, that, but that, but that conversation I had in in country, you know, mm-hmm. I, and I didn't yet know what to make of it. But I, but I knew when I came back that that I was a different person, that I would never be the same again, and that I wanted to know why we 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 did what we did. And so I think it's really important for us. I guess so. So I guess my message would be to to the service members who are in. If if you're curious about that stuff, pursue that curiosity and don't shut the door on that. To the veterans who are out, you know, there is a there is a world after it. You're not. There are ways to be in community with other people that don't involve violence. That that involve maybe building a better world. And and this this is one I've been thinking a lot about lately because of the discourse of the last couple of weeks around Afghanistan is that if you're an active socialist organizer right now, resist the urge to maybe shit on that veteran right now and, and, and maybe try to pull them in and say, Hey, look, uh, you know, you've got questions. Let's think about a way we can talk about this from a systemic structural standpoint, because it's really easy for that veteran to, to find their own answers about what went down and you can you can go down some some crazy conspiracy theory rabbit hole about it or or you can you know go to the modern equivalent of gi coffee house and have a conversation about this long history i know that's an item you didn't get to jeremy in this conversation but it's it's a good way to wrap it up which is like this practice of saying you know how do we how do we provide some ideological continuity to this experience that's been going on for for decades and centuries actually so that's it for me. Thanks, James or Marcos. Marco. I guess I guess for myself, like you know, I, I I get asked this question a lot, especially by other veterans. Is would you do it all over again? And you know, that's something that weighs heavily with me. But honestly, I would have to say yes. I wouldn't have radicalized if it hadn't been for all the experiences that I've had. I know that it does come with traumas, but I also know that it also comes with a level of resiliency once you learn how to be vulnerable. You realize, like like I mentioned earlier, like you realize you've you can push your limits on certain things, but now you can choose, you know, and also engage in it in a healthy way of like where you want to put that energy towards, and you know, like building community is a great way to do that. Like, and you know, not just building community, but like, you know, all of us want to be a part of some sort of like greater good for humanity, and we want, we, you know, I think it's a great way to kind of like bring in those bring in people and let them like you know talk about what's going on and then you know as as mitch was mentioning like start showing why systemically things play out this way why you know you know pay raises like are always like you know very minimal for the military meanwhile you've got all these contractors you know like you and you can ask anybody in the military too like just get out and be a contractor and you'll get paid wait you know double what you're making now and you know you'll you'll start to you know make those connections there but ultimately i think you know you're not alone out there. It's what I would probably say. There's so many other people that are out there who are going through the same thing you are. You're going as well, but you're not alone. And you know, there's plenty of us that want to build something that isn't the next proud boy 
organization. Mm-hmm. Check. Great, uh, James. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of good points from everyone. I agree with all of that. I just want to harp on the 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 community aspect of that and the actually having social support networks and stuff. For me, getting out, I was super lost and I was pretty far right wing, and I didn't really like. I had grasped a lot of that. Like, this is fucked. This is wrong. You know, that whole war was for nothing. Everything we did didn't do shit. And there's really, you know, two sets of explanations you know, to the far, you know, to the left and to the right. And it's, you know, the right side, the right wing side of that is being handed to you and almost forced down your throat in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough that I had some old friends who were riding the Bernie train and managed to kind of snag me from the precipice there, but just through their support and late night conversations and, Oh, maybe, maybe when I said small government, what I meant was no government. Like that makes even more sense. Or, Oh, you mean I can hate the Democrats from the other side? Hell yeah. (laughs) That's like my main political thing. (laughs) But yeah, just that support uh, network is huge and having that community, especially for veterans that just recently got out, like we were mentioning before, you lose such a huge sense of camaraderie and belonging, and it's really easy to just get lost in that and get left behind by society at large. Awesome, thanks. Last question, and to go out on the cheery tip, what gives you hope? Assuming, Honestly, uh, assuming something does, yeah. <laughs> when I see when I see international struggles make make wins, whether that be just just rising every day and continue, like if you're if you're Palestinian in Palestine and you just continue to get up every day and and exist, what seems like impossible odds of survival, impossible odds of justice. That gives me hope when I see, you know, strengthening our international ties with the rest of the international left movements. And, you know, here in the United States through the DSA, that gives me hope because, you know, that that was an impossible situation even even a year ago. When I see when I see thousands of people in the streets demanding the abolition of police, that gives me hope in, inside the, the seat of empire. And, you know, you take you take losses, you take a lot of L's along the way. You, you do. But the fact that people don't just roll over and give up, they continue to go out, even though it doesn't seem like there's a win in your lifetime, I can't help but feel inspired by that. Excellent. Anybody else? I don't know. I don't know if I, if I what gives me hope. I don't know. I think just, I don't know. I think maybe like sometimes it's a combination of like seeing, like they, they took down the, the, the Robert E. Lee statue today. And like, so... And chopped it that's up. A big, yeah, that's a big leap forward, I think, for you know, for some things, I guess. You know, it's a, it's a little small thing, but you know, you know, you got to start out small, start out somewhere. So, I mean, like that kind of stuff, really. I don't know if I, I don't know if I don't know. Yeah, I just, I just kind of lean on those kind of things. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, it either gives you hope or keep, uh, or what gives you hope or what keeps you going. I guess is yeah. another, another way to ask that question. Yeah, I would say. For me, really, it's, I'm like, shit, I'm a baby leftist. I've only been, like, at all politically active or educated for a handful of years now. And just in, like, the last five years, seeing so much of a 
cultural change in the U.S. here, seeing things being considered that I never could imagine the conversation ever getting to on a national stage. That's been encouraging. I'm I'm pessimistic and bitter and cynical, so it's hard. But <laughs> stuff like that really does does help, even if it's too little, too late. Like it's something. I guess something that's giving me hope is, you know, watching these connections also form like, you know, experiences and then people like, you know, both in and out of the military, different organizations also like becoming more resilient in these different times. And, you know, communities becoming more resilient, watching like, you know, some of my favorite things is also watching like all these different like international groups coming together in times of struggle. I know that like for me, my my dad's side of the family comes from Michoacan and I don't know if anybody's ever heard of like the situation of like Chiran where the Puripecha people rose up and overthrew their the cartels that were there along with the local government and right now they're kind of leading and guiding their principles through their own indigenous uh, perspectives and you know especially as somebody who is descended from those people it's it's been you know things little things like that of learning history of like recognizing that like we can all come together and work through struggles and that like that kind of organization like you know there's going to be people there and watching people you know also deal with like a post you know trauma like with all the different protests and stuff like that of you know developing the support networks and becoming closer in that way developing community in a way that like america like the american norm is just to absolve us of any sense of identity and just people you know existing despite of all that repression you know just as somebody like myself, you know, my, I, I always tell people, especially BIPOC folk, that like our existence here in this fucking world is is resistance, and we we can we can you know continue to fight on through that. Excellent. Oh, uh, well, thank you all for for again for your, all the time and and the thoughts and your contributions for the for this evening. I greatly appreciate it. This has been a, a hell of a com- conversation. I probably should have prompted more of this, but I just thought of this is, uh, would any of you have suggestions for resources that people either on the inside or on the outside or even who want to help can get involved with that you want to promote or you think, you know, if nothing else, like any, like just give people a signpost as to where to go to next or, you know, what they can, what anybody in any, you know, in any of the, in any of the situations can do to, to help things. And if you don't have anything tonight, just send it to me later, and I can, I can like, you know, I'll add it in, I can add it in post. But I just wonder if you have any, any like thoughts. Yeah, I'll, I'll plug a few resources. I'm going to plug the About Face Veterans Against the War org. We can put a link to that in the show notes and all that. I, th- I think it's aboutfaceveterans.org. I think they've got a lot of good resources, particularly aimed aimed at kind of appealing to the post 9/11 veterans out there. I think it's for folks trying to find a way to plug into ending permanent war. Right. I, I would if you're in a podcast, I'd listen to Eyes Left podcast, as has been mentioned earlier in this. That has personally been a very cathartic podcast for me to listen to. I mean, I'll be in the gym just kind of like working out, trying to work it all out and like listening to them kind of work through some some serious bullshit. And I'm like, I remember that. That was a fucked up situation. And I feel better knowing that there's other people out there thinking about it. And then they usually have some resources on their show. Big fans, big fans of the pod, and uh, yeah, hell of a way to die is a good, another good podcast. I also, I also recommend. But you know, like I'd start there, and you know, if you're if you're in the DSA, there's a national working group. I don't know if it's very active anymore, but there's a, a veterans veterans working group, DSA veterans working group. 
It might also be an interesting way to get connected. Here locally, we've tried to do a Veterans Caucus with, with fits and starts and, you know, lack of success. But it's it's hard. It's it's only a handful of us, right? And we're, we're busy doing other stuff. So that's it for me. Thank you. Anybody else have any suggestions or suggested resources or just tips, I guess? Mitch named all the ones I knew. <laughs> so what Mitch said. Spencer Marco, anything, uh, any adjusting order, or did Mitch pretty much hit it in one? Yeah, he, I, he hit it in one. I don't have any other than like VA resources, but I don't, I can't think of the offhand right now. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know this is a bit of a contradiction for me as somebody who has yet to work on his benefits, but definitely like check out the DAV if you've got it on top of just doubling down on all the resources that, uh, or I guess at yeah, this quadrupling down on or tripling down on the, on the podcast recommendations. So check. Awesome. Do you do you want to give the number of the of the of the, the, the line? Sure. Rachel sure. could hear it added a little bit. I know it's you know mainstream VA resource, but I know there are. I have also heard a lot of people say it is helpful, and I know a lot of great people work on the Veterans Crisis Line, and the number is one eight hundred two seven three talk or. Two seven three eight two five five. Another little-known resource are vet centers. I've even known some veterans who were not <laughs> aware of them. I don't know how active they are in the age of COVID, but I know vet, vet centers were started by Vietnam vets who were disillusioned by the VA system. And they're they're still technically under the VA system, but they're kind of they're a little bit kind of not as directly connected. There are more privacy protections. So I've heard some vets who say that they prefer using vet centers <laughs> rather than the mainstream VA system. Um, and another group I've heard of I don't know a whole lot about is Veterans for Peace, but I see them. Uh, I don't know if any anyone here is connected to them or knows. I, I them. know Dan. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, I know Dan, yeah. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, sure. All right. Well, thank you all for, for the, again, informative and evocative and emotive. What fucking day is it? Wednesday evening. Yes, it's a Wednesday. Okay. I think. Yes, Wednesday. And again, I will let you know. This is going to take me a little bit to cut together, and then I'll post it, and then I will let you know. And again, if you can think of anything that I'm missing or should be added to the show notes or that I can help promote, to let me know. Yeah. Thanks a lot for this. Does anybody have any final words? Or have we pretty much said everything we needed to say? I'm good. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Fuck the war. <laughs> Hell yeah. Rock and roll. Okay, and we're out. There we go. All right. All right. Welcome to the wonderful See world of podcasting. Good night. Jerry. Yep. Thanks, Jerry. Yep. Wait, thanks, See y'all. you guys later. to see exotic Vietnam, the jewel of Southeast Asia. I, uh, I wanted to meet interesting and stimulating people of an ancient culture and kill them. I wanted to be the first kid on my block to get a confirmed kill. <laughs>